Welcome to the Real Talk Real Estate Podcast with hosts Aleem Savani and Brandon Daniel. All right, welcome back, people, to another episode of Real Talk Real Estate. What we like to do on this show each time is bring on a guest, like-minded people like ourselves who like to talk about real estate and things related. So with myself, Brandon Daniel, and my co-host, Aleem Savani, welcome. Welcome, everybody. Today, we have um, a special guest. We have Paneet from Cormoran & Company, um, who's a real estate lawyer. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, let's get right into it. Let us tell us a little bit about your background, how you became a real estate lawyer. Do you enjoy it? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Um, so my name is Puneet Jatana. I've been with Cormoran & Company for about 13 years now. Um, and to answer the question, yes, I absolutely love real estate yeah. law. I probably wouldn't want to do any other areas of law. Um, so litigation is not my thing. But uh, I, I do enjoy it for the simple fact that one of the only areas where I get to say congrats, here's your keys, or here's your money, and people are happy walking away. So I got into it uh, back in 2010. Um, so I did my paralegal studies at Humber College. And as paralegals, you don't really do real estate law, but you do landlord-tenant board, small claims court. So I got my first job at Corman & Company, and my roles have changed uh, throughout the, the time while I did undergrad, my law school, and then uh, started practicing. So I just made partner last year, and I absolutely love it. Oh, I mean, congrats. Thank you. Congrats. So it's uh, it's something that uh, that I enjoy. So, yeah. That's, that's congrats. It. Well, there's a bunch of uh, questions that we have for you today. Um, I'm just going to start shooting them off. Um, so one thing I, I just want to clarify is you need a real estate lawyer in order to... Yes. Have, Okay. Uh, absolutely. In Ontario, you cannot do a title transfer without a lawyer. So that's uh, mandated by the Law Society. And land, the land registry also does not allow anyone else um, to transact without a lawyer for actual transfer of title. You can do mortgages through banks or lending institutions directly, uh, and they don't have to be lawyers or authorized. But for title transfers, you have to use a lawyer. Okay, perfect. So just to clarify, um, both the buyer and the seller will have their own uh, lawyer. Yes. Uh, in, in, in very um, few circumstances, the same lawyer can act for both sides if they're related parties um, for title transfer purposes. Same lawyer can act for both sides, but you do need a lawyer to represent both the sides. Yes. Okay. And no, have you had a lot of instances where like you've represented the same, both so, sides? So not on a, on a, tr- on a transaction. Yes. Not on a standard yeah. transaction where it's the buyer and the seller. You cannot represent both sides. It's a conflict of interest, of course. Um, but, for small matters, title transfers from parents to children, spouses, those are generally okay. But we do tend to do ILAs or independent legal advice for them and just to make sure that they understand their uh, rights and obligations. Right, okay. okay, yeah. Uh, also, I also wanted to ask you, you know, when a new buyer is buying a property, or, like sometimes they don't understand why they need a real estate lawyer, what goes into it. Then we can explain like what does a real estate lawyer do? So, so real estate lawyers, number one, our job is to help clients close a transaction. What goes into it is very in-depth. Um, the process is not the uh, same for any same client. It's very catered towards each client that we work with. But what it is is normally we would do title searches for buyers to make sure there's no issues on title. If there's any problems, we requisition them. Uh, but at the same time, we're also then representing the lender if the clients are getting a mortgage. Mortgage companies will require a lawyer as well to represent them, and that's where we come in, of course, to handle both sides of things. On a sale end, we make sure that there's no fraud going on, and, of course, the money goes to the right parties when the property is closed. 
Okay, I'm going to cut in right there, uh, talking about fraud. So earlier this year, I'm sure we're all aware of, you know, fraud where I've heard in a couple, I think there's been multiple situations, but a couple comes back from, you vacation, know, yeah, from vacation. vacation or overseas and they find out that the people they were renting out the house to, I think that was one of them, right? Owned the property at that point or... Just some uh, random or came just home with sold it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Or another situation where someone just sold their house without them even knowing. So how does that happen? Like, so it, it's very common and it's been happening for years. It's, oh, it's common? Yes. Oh, okay. uh, so in, in the last decade, I've seen it a lot happening. We get knowledge of it more so than public out yeah. there only because we have to do seminars and CPDs with the title insurance companies. They'll give us examples and then we've been improving on how to detect fraud. However, the media picked up on a few stories recently, and that created a lot of buzz. But of course, mm-hmm. the, the solution to that is title insurance, which I will get into later on today and explain how that works. But it's very simple in terms of how it was explained to us. Somebody gets a fake ID with the owner's names, with their picture on it, walk into a law firm and basically just say, we're the owners, we want to sell the property, hire a realtor. And generally, people who get targeted are uh, snowbirds who are not in the country most, most of the time. Uh, Elderly, um, or they'll find somebody who's an investor. Yeah. Okay. So how do the lawyers, I know you're going to get into it in a little bit, but yeah. like, how, how can the lawyer, does it mean the lawyers not doing their title search properly? Or no, is it, it like, nothing to do with the title searches. So the title search will reveal registered names yeah. on title. We would then pull the old transfer, which would also show the birth dates of the parties. But when somebody presents an ID that's based on those names and, and um, uh, birth dates, we have no way of confirming unless we use uh, secondary verification services, which we are now. So one of them is called uh, Tree Fort, and it's basically their job is to do a three-step layer of, of identification. So just to detect fraud lately. But before that, there's no photos registered on, yeah. on uh, the land registry. Yeah. So we have no idea what someone looks like yeah. except the name and the birthday. It's getting easier and easier to scan people these I days. Know. It's so sadly, scary. Yes. Imagine coming back from a vacation with your family and you're and not the owner of the home anymore. You walk in and locks are changed. <laughs> you're yeah, like, what, what's what going, the hell's going on here? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. that's, that was, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. it's nuts. It's scary. Um, so title insurance. Yeah, I can get into that. Hey, can yeah, you get, get into, into that? A little bit. So the quick fix to that problem is title insurance. Um, title insurance companies are private products. Um, you've got Stewart Title, Chicago Title, First Canadian Title. They all do the same job. We just work with the ones that have the cheapest quotes or have better offerings or services that work better for our clients. So all the, all the clients that were targeted for fraud um, – that did not have title insurance will have to spend considerable amount of money to go to court and and try to win the cases to get their properties back. If you had title insurance, which would average cost you on a million dollar transaction at most eight hundred to a thousand bucks, that would cover you for any title fraud. That includes someone fraudulently transferring title out of your name and you have no idea about it. Someone getting uh, mortgages, which was the more common aspect back in the days. Uh, including now itself, someone at the branch is aware of you not having a mortgage on title or you have so much equity, and then they devise a plan to work with uh, a private lender, for, for example, to get a mortgage or a second uh, line of credit, for example, and then that money you have no idea when you go to sell the property. A, a normal person does not do title search on their property uh, every five years or three years or two years. It's only 
It's it, only if you're doing a refinance, they'll do it. Yeah. Otherwise, some of them are okay just renewing with their bank and leaving it the way it is. But most of the time when these things get detected are at a point of sale, and then they're also alarmed. But if you have title insurance, they deal with it. You just call them and say, this is what's going on. And their job is to go after the parties who are responsible. And is title insurance required now? So that's a very good question. Yeah. Uh, if you're getting a mortgage on a purchase transaction, it's 99.9% uh, .9 required by a majority of the lenders, um, whether it's privates or A lenders, B lenders, they all require title insurance because the the cost to not get title insurance is is far significant than, than getting it. Uh, not just monetarily, but even the time spent to deal with the issues afterwards. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in Ontario, um, the, the technical answer is, no, we do not have to have title insurance. But there's no lawyer that I know that does real estate law that will not close without title insurance. It's, it's almost uh, counterproductive to do that. So if we need to close the transaction, let's say you're buying cash only, uh, there's no mortgage involved, and you approach us and say, can you close my transaction? But I do not want to get title insurance. Our, our answer, number one, is no, we're not acting for you then. However, we would ask, why is it that you don't want title insurance? I don't want to pay the extra money. Okay. So how much roughly is? 0.1% of the purchase price. Okay, so that's nothing. Okay. So somehow, <laughs> basically, you're not closing without title insurance. We, we're yeah. not personally, and, and I, I challenge you to find a lawyer that is uh, closing without title insurance. And I'll tell you why. Um, if you ask us to do it without, for whatever reason, the, the work involved and the costs involved to do it without title insurance, uh, it's probably two to three times more. And I'll tell you why. So... If let's say, um, so Law Society requires us to issue something called a, an opinion on title when it comes to uh, buying someone buying property and we're representing them. So I can tell them the property is free and clear, there's no issues. We can do title searches, which will show generally if there are any liens, et cetera, what's registered, number one. We can't see the things that are behind the register. So we would have to conduct searches by hiring a conveyancer to go to the land registry, anything that's before a certain point of degree. But title insurance will cover all that prior to a certain number of years. Then I have to order a building zoning compliance letter, which confirms any open permits, work order violations, et cetera, which again, title insurance covers. But that, that cost is about $200 in Toronto. Then you've got tax certificates that you have to check if property taxes are outstanding or not. You've got utility certificates, uh, anything that's outstanding. And then you have to do a survey. Survey is going to cost you anywhere yeah, bucks, is expensive. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Title insurance would have cost you, like I said, a set fee on, on that purchase price. And of course, if you're not getting a mortgage, it's even cheaper because with the mortgage, two policies. One is an owner policy that remains with you for the life as long as you own the property. Mm -hmm. And the lender policy, as long as you stay with the lender. If you switch your mortgage product, et cetera, then you get a lender policy, which would be almost half the cost. So the costs involved are not worth in terms of not getting title insurance, but what it protects you for is so much more than just these little items uh, that we just discussed. So yeah, utility tax issues come up later on, no problem. But let's say you're buying a property from a builder, okay? Yeah. Then there's a big lawsuit by an indigenous group that says, this is built on our ancestral land and we want, you know, we're suing all the owners. Now, if you don't have title insurance, you're defending that uh, on your own. And oh, wow. So I'm I'm just giving yeah. examples that that, okay, that, gotcha. can't, that can happen. Yeah, yes, yeah. but these are more extreme on on the other side. But of course, the builder uh, also did not get proper permits, 
and did not close uh, everything on closing. Or if even if the seller did some renovations to the property, we've had issues as minor as someone removing a tree. So bylaw contraventions. So city drives around. There's all those bylaw enforcement yeah, officers. Yeah. They'll see that this person extended their their curb, touched the driveway without proper permissions, removed a tree that wasn't supposed to be removed. But your clients have purchased the property. It's perfect. And next thing you know, city says, nope, we're going to put 10 more trees now in your youth block because we have to, et cetera, or you're going to get fined. Um, any of that is covered if it affects the marketability of the property later on because the value can change, of course. Boundary disputes you have with your neighbors over the fence, uh, anything that comes up later on that's not your fault. Wow. It's so, pre-existing. It covers you for all of those things. Uh, and fraud, obviously, in all aspects you can think of is covered. So title insurance is actually very important. Title insurance. And, is, and it covers a whole lot of things. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah, it makes sense. There's no reason why you wouldn't. And and there are <laughs> clients that don't have title insurance, and we set up a website for that. Just you can go on and, and order it if you like, and I'll discuss that later on and put it in, uh, and you can share it. Yeah, course. we can share it, yeah. But uh, generally, there are clients who purchased properties prior to 2000. Uh, it wasn't as common until in the 2000s that it picked up a lot more. Okay. Um, so anyone who's owned property long-term, you have clients uh, of yours, previous clients that you know are elderly, for example, or they bought it really, uh, or it was just transferred to them and no one got title insurance. Um, we highly recommend getting it. Uh, and okay. it's, it's not that costly as we discussed. Okay. Awesome. Did you want to touch on the assignments? What was yeah, we can jump into assignments. So yeah. assignments are happening a lot right now. Yes, like you, it's you a hot topic. It's yeah. a hot topic. Last yeah. two years, everyone's trying to get rid of something or trying yeah. to make so, quick, quick flips. So, you so know? hot topic as in, uh, how do I put this? There was a time uh, when, when I was doing this. Uh, I mean, assignments we've been doing for a long time, but there was a time where it was a profitable sort of business. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, not so much. There are times, so I'll tell you how assignments work. Assignments yeah. is basically uh, a, a original buyer who bought a property from, let's say, a builder. Um, and, and assignments can work for resales as well, but we'll talk about the builder context for, for what's going on in the market. So someone purchased a property from a builder for uh, 500000 and a year later, before it's even finished, they can assign it to somebody else who will then switch the roles of becoming the new buyer and closing with the builder for 600000 for example. Yeah. Okay. And the person who was the, the signor in the middle, the first original buyer, they'll walk away with a profit of about $100,000. That is how things were working back in the days because properties were increasing at a value that you can't imagine. Okay, so it was a lucrative business where people would hold yeah. and put some deposits down and a year, two years, three years later, they will flip it before closing. It is profitable to the signors because A, no closing costs. The, the new buyer will take over the closing costs, land transfer yeah. tax, registration, the development charges, anything on the adjustments that the builder will throw at you, yeah. that you don't have to worry about. And of course, how about HST? Is that yeah? So yeah. The, so HST. Um, I, I so with assignments, I will get into it okay. as to how that's working. But but for the closing aspect, the builder includes HST in their uh, sale price, so that you've seen basically they'll say five hundred thousand that your client buys. Just so you know, there's a rebate portion built to it. Uh, it rebates about twenty-four thousand dollars. So the actual price of the unit, for example, would be five twenty-four thousand. But the builder wants to sell you at a lucrative price. They'll offer you the five hundred k upfront. But in the agreement, there's a fine print that says if you are not moving into this property and occupying as primary residence, or if you're renting it out, uh, we will take back the twenty-four thousand on closing. And then it's up to you what you do afterwards, because there are rental rebates available that you can apply, of course, with CRA directly after closing, but your costs go up. A lot of people also don't know about that portion of things. So when we review an agreement, very important to do a new build review, 
uh, we give you a detailed outlook of what you're getting into in terms of closing cost expectations and on all these hidden um, uh, items and clauses on the agreement. So if you were to, if you were to purchase a Simon sale, it's, you should get a real sale lawyer well, yeah, go through, go through it so, before you, even so, you make an offer or yes, anything, right? Yes, so assignments are not one of those that you go as a pre-offer. Yeah. And, and you know what? I It just happens to be I just did one last week. Uh, it was a pre-offer assignment review. Oh, wow. <laughs> but it made no sense to me uh, because the problem with that is the other party being the assignor. Uh, so let's say my clients, your clients are buying the assignees or what they're called. If they want to go in firm, if they think there's competition, no party would not would consider not putting a clause in for for a review, for a lawyer review, because there's a lot of things to be hashed out between the lawyers for for clauses, uh, HST, like you said, yeah. rebates, uh, adjustments, credits. So there's a lot to look out when it comes to assignments. So we not only if I'm acting on a buyer for an assignment. Not only do we look at the assignment agreement, the APS that you've prepared or reform, we would also look at the original builder agreement to then do an outlook, full complete picture for yeah. the for the buyers. Uh, in this scenario, the reason we did the um, pre-offer wasn't so much that it would make their competition stronger because we got the APS right after and it was still five day review condition on both the sides. Because the other lawyer, the other side will not agree without the lawyer review. Because, yeah. they, because you don't want to take advantage of somebody too, so they'll have a lawyer kick in. But the reason we did this was because our clients also did not want to tie up their deposits. Initial deposit can be very low, of course, but even thirty thousand, they they figured, hey, we know it's conditional, we can get the money back, but maybe they didn't want to tie it in. So that I understood. But the lawyer review is very important for assignments. It's not one of those that you can just say, let's just go and get it signed and get it done because you could be getting into a lot of. Yeah, I've heard it's more complex than that you may think. Yeah. Not not when you work with us. Uh, that'll so be not, not with Because <laughs> assignments aren't always allowed, right? So the builder can. Yeah. So let's talk like, about that. Not yeah. allow you to sell your So when you're, when, now you, you'll see when you're buying from a builder, you're working with your clients, it will do, normally say assignment clause included, right to lease during occupancy, yeah. because a lot of investors started getting into it. Uh, what those things mean is the builder retains the right to be able to allow you to sign the property. Not everyone would do that. And sometimes they want to charge a fee. So when, when the market was really hot, the builders also wanted to make money off. Yeah, they were side. charging five, 10, 15 grand just so to not allow just that. There was yeah. one there's a one particular builder, actually a few, that would want to charge a percentage of your profit. Oh wow. So where would someone find that? So it would be in the agreement itself originally when you signed off with the builder. Okay. Uh, and at, as part of the, the agreement review, you have ten days cooling off period. Uh, by law in Ontario for any condominium type property, whether it's townhouse or, or a condo, uh, 10 days are, are legally what you have. But for a freehold property, builders generally can set the timing of things. But an average given is about 10 days anyway. So in those 10 days, it's a rescission period. So we can then advise you what's going on. And we will then notify the builder's lawyer of your intention to proceed, maybe based on the certain conditions or requirements or clarifications. And then we would suggest to our clients, maybe put a cap on the development charges. Maybe ask for an assignment clause of $0. Maybe ask for a clause right to lease if you are an investor, you know you want to uh, uh, lease it out during occupancy. So you, you, could, sorry, you, yeah. can, you can request on the 10-day cooling period yes. 
if you know you're going to rent it out to put that into the agreement. That way the builder will right off the bat switch the whole agreement to a, a, a rental investor and they would then charge the 24000 of course. But yeah. that would be final closing when it comes up. Yeah. But you're well prepared as to how to handle that with your clients. But in terms of assignments, now the tables have turned a little bit because a lot of people did buy at the height. Mm-hmm. Market changed a little bit. So a lot of them are getting out at the same margin that they, they paid or even at some loss. So they can get their deposits back. Okay. So the the problem now that's become is it's not as profitable as it was because the government kicked in. The CRA wanted some more money about uh, what was happening with the market. It was a quick way of, of income generation. And uh, they realized, let's, uh, let's tax it. So now there's HST payable mm-hmm. on assignments right off the bat. Before, it was if your intention from the beginning was an, as an investor, then HSD was payable. But if it was for you to move in and then you assigned it to somebody else, then there wouldn't be an HSD amount payable. Of course, Sierra can deem it if they like. But now it's uh, as part of the agreement, we asked that if you're working on the the buyer side, you would like the HSD to be included into the seller's responsible, just like a commercial transaction yeah. you're doing. And the other way around would be in addition to, and it, it's all about negotiating, of course. But keep in mind, if you're advising your clients now to do an assignment on a sale, they're thinking, okay, fine, let's just sell it for an extra 50000 so I can, you know, uh, make some money out of it. Well, 50000 then you take the HST on it, it's going to come off, any commissions, any legal fees. By the time you walk away, it might be half of that, right? So you If you're lucky, half in, of that, yeah. Yeah, you have to be, yeah. you have to really factor in the costs involved now. And we can do a detailed breakdown for, for the clients, of course. And then we don't generally comment on, on tax implications, but they should get advice from an accountant or tax lawyer re- regarding... Um, uh, capital gains uh, yeah. and income taxes, how that would impact them in that sense. Yeah, depending on what time they bought bought at and yeah. now it being completed, let's say, soon and where the market's at and mortgage yeah. rates, borrowing yeah. costs, they might not even be able to be approved for yeah. a mortgage, yeah. right? But so that's where you're getting more people selling. So even now, please keep in mind um, the, the, the new buyer who's buying, although they may want to move into the property, for them to get the rebate as well, they have to occupy, of course, but majority of the builders will not allow the rebate on closing, although you're eligible or you may be eligible. They're saying we're not comfortable giving it to you. It's not worth us getting audited by CRA. We're going to charge you 24000 What you do with it afterwards is up to you. So you have to prepare your clients who are buying. Hey, it's going to cost you an extra $24,000. Make sure you have it sitting somewhere. So in addition to other costs that we will go over, of course, as part of the review. Um, okay. Yeah. And when you're looking at for an assignment, so do you need the actual worksheet, the original worksheet that's been done? Or just uh, so if you give us the APS, there yeah, is a schedule, schedule B at the, the back. back. We would, I mean, we would then calculate the numbers based on the original agreement for the deposit. What's going on? We'll advise you. So half the time, our job is also to to suggest new clauses, at least certain ones, and even changes to the agreement itself okay. as part of the review. So we do a lot of the legwork when it comes to these uh, assignments. And you guys charge like the lawyers generally charge more for assignment sales yes, than but a, than because a, there's three closings involved at, yeah. at, at 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 a given time. So you've got your assignment closing, you've got your occupancy closing, and a final closing. So for that reason, we keep it as a fixed fee. So for example, we charge twenty five hundred plus HSD and some disbursements for purchases. Sales are about two thousand. So that's uh, basically how we we tackle assignments, um, and that way you don't have to worry about each stage coming up with more money. We just tell you how much is up front. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know how in depth it was. I knew there was a lot. No, there's a lot, there's a lot in assignments. Yeah, I'm dealing with my first assignment right now. Are you? So, so, yeah. okay. so there you go. You got well, some information. Yeah, I'll take right. care of you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. What else do we have to touch on? Foreign buyers. 
Oh, okay. Uh, it's another hot topic. I, I, I get into. at yeah. least two to five emails every day from yeah. agents asking about foreign buyers. The foreign buyer ban, which uh, which kicked in uh, not too long ago, that that really did impact the market a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say a little bit; it did impact the market because the government also did not anticipate it to to hit uh, so strongly. They did amend the, the the rules a little bit. So the foreign buyer ban applies to anybody who's not a Canadian um, permanent resident or a citizen uh, or has uh, refugee protection. There are certain exceptions, of course. Uh, to allow them to buy properties in in Canada, and the, this applies to residential properties only, not not commercial. Uh, but it the rules did change very recently, and now what it allows you to purchase, of course, in addition to residential, you can buy a mixed use property. So if it's a farmland uh, that's generating income with a dwelling on it, single family, residential, etc., that could be purchased by foreigners, no problem. Keep in mind. Foreigners were eligible to buy, including work permit holders now. So work permit holders uh, had certain criteria to meet before. With the new rules kicking in, as long as you have a work permit valid for six months or 183 days, days I believe, you can purchase a property in Canada, but you have to pay the NRSD, which is a non-resident speculation tax, 25%. Yes, 25%. So the cost goes up, of course, yeah. uh, uh, significantly. But at the time that you close, you can apply for a rebate. So... Uh, for the NRSD, you have about four years from the time of closing. If, as long as you get your permanent residency in that period, you can apply for the full 25% back, of course. Uh, and uh, for land transfer tax, it's also only applicable to Canadians similarly. So they would have to pay full land transfer tax despite of their status being first-time homebuyers or not. Oh, so if they're first-time homebuyers, they have to, yeah. Yeah, so they would pay still have full. to pay it. But they have then 18 months to apply for the rebate. So if, if it's double, uh, both, the, both that they're paying both in full, they're expecting the, the rebates, then you would want it to be in the 18 months they get their PR, so apply for both at the same time. Uh, otherwise, they lose out on, on the, the land transfer tax rebate, which, of course, the land transfer tax, I'll talk to you about the costs how that works and plays in uh, in a little bit, but uh, they have to then move into the property within 60 days of the closing as part of the requirement. There's the criteria online, of course, we can guide you through, we can help with the rebates afterwards as well. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, keep in mind the costs are higher for foreign buyers regardless. You're still seeing a lot of foreign, foreign money coming in yes, in different ways. Yeah. yeah, so now the rules, of course, were yeah. relaxed to allow builders to develop properties here. So yeah. a lot of the money was being funneled in back in the, you know, before the foreign buyer ban was ever there. Um, the builders who were here, and I'm not talking about the big builders, maybe the big builders as well, but the, the smaller ones would depend on funding from elsewhere outside the country. And a lot of the times... Um, the, they're sourcing those funds to be able to construct and develop and whatnot. Now, if you cannot be on title to a corporation or, or sorry, be a director uh, or a majority shareholder, a lot of people were not comfortable putting in the money from, from foreign parts of the, the world. So now you're allowed to be a, a foreign uh, director, uh, shareholder. From 3% to 10%, they've increased it. 3% was too minimal just to be, just to say you're a part of the corporation. Um, that has helped some builders to to fully just get funding here. But again, now they've changed the rules drastically where somebody who's a foreigner can purchase properties for the purpose of redevelopment. So you don't have to worry about the whole scenario about if you're going on title with somebody who's Canadian or not. You can just buy a property, a piece of land, start developing. Okay. 
I was wondering if you can touch on how the relationship between landlords and tenants are uh, affecting, you know, real estate transactions and closings. Yeah, that's a, that's a big topic. Um, so, of course, uh, when you're selling a property and there's a tenant involved, we, we highly advise you to, to get that uh, form signed by both parties, uh, N11 being one of them uh, and 12 being the other one. So the, the issue that we sometimes face is if the tenant cannot find a property within a certain time frame of the closing date, it doesn't fall on the buyer to, to take over or assume the tenant in any way because the seller promised vacant possession. The seller can get sued for, for negligence of the tenant not being able to go. But tr- in trying to recover the damages to, to counterclaim them against the uh, sorry, you're not counter cross claim against the tenant. You are not going to be able to get very far um, when it comes to litigation. Of course, can't comment too much on litigation, and but we've seen it happen both ways. So the idea is that you want to work with a tenant that understands that you'll be selling a property, and some of them will tell you yes, no problem, and time comes for the closing, and they say we cannot leave. So the the surest way of getting a transaction completed without it falling apart is. The, we like to use the clause that uh, so RIA has uh, in their standard yeah. uh, clauses, but we modified a little bit uh, to favor the seller. Of course, if you're working with a seller client, uh, that basically just states that you know the seller has uh, uh, delivered a notice and it's been fully served and it's uh, a copy of it with the land landlord tenant board. Uh, L two is the one that you have to serve with them directly. However. Despite the best attempts, if the tenant refuses to to leave or cannot vacate the property, the buyer will assume the tenant and and continue the process of um, uh, vacating. And at that stage, you can also then say the seller will then compensate the buyer X amount of dollars if that's what it takes to close the deal, et cetera. Um, but of course, it depends on circumstances. If the buyer needs the property themselves, then uh, it could be tricky. So... Negotiating that, uh, always be almost 99% sure that the tenant's going to leave beforehand. And if it comes down to it where they're not cooperating, you can get the sheriffs involved to have them evicted, um, but it may require some more time on the closing. So you may have to extend 30 days. So always work around it um, to have yourself extra time or the closing date be set after the tenant is supposed to move out so you can have some time. Just give yourself a grace period, maybe 30 or 60 days, 100%. right? 100%. Yeah. What happens when um, a buyer or a seller are going to back out of an agreement? Wherever mortgages or the bank appraises it less. Like, I know that happened a lot earlier in the year. Yes. Like, um, is that something you can touch on? Yes, of course. Um, so when the agreement is binding, as in it's firm, there is no conditions. Both parties are obligated to complete the transaction. For a buyer's perspective, let's start with the buyer's um, if they cannot complete the transaction for any reason, um, they risk losing their deposit, number one. Okay. They can always, what we end up doing is if we are aware ahead of time the buyer cannot close, uh, we will then try to do a mutual release and negotiate something with the other side. Sometimes they can keep part of the deposit. Sometimes they can give all of it back and depend on if they can sell for more. Uh, because when it goes to litigation, let's say, and again, if you don't do a mutual release, the risk with that is the, the seller can sue you for the deposit, of course, and, and get, get that pretty fast. The process is about three weeks um, to get that order. But if they want to come after you for damages, as in if they end up selling it for less, the difference, they can come back after the buyer. 
The mutual release allows you to say, hey, keep my deposit or keep X amount of dollars, or I'll give you an extra 10,000, but don't come after me afterwards. So that's where mutual releases are important. Uh, but if the buyer cannot get a mortgage, that's not the seller's problem. They yeah. agreed to buy a property and and that's the price they agreed to pay, so they have to cover that. On a seller's uh, side of things, this was never uh, an issue until this year. I'm noticing a lot now. Sellers have taken on multiple mortgages or took on a very high mortgage. Interest rates have gone up, can't make payments. Now they're selling underwater. So they're below the, the value of the property that they paid originally, of course, and then even below the mortgage outstanding. So they have to come up with money to close. Oh, wow. And if they cannot close at the time of closing, it's not the, the buyer's fault. The buyer has no clue what's going on. It's your problem to sell and, and pay off everything. And the buyer's not obligated to assume the, the property uh, with a mortgage or lien on. So in that scenario, the seller is at fault. The buyer can then sue the seller um, for for damages as well if they end up paying more buying something else. Okay. Okay. So. Uh, getting someone off uh, off of title, like uh, you're a married couple and, you know, things don't work out, you divorce yep. uh, or separate, is it, I guess you still need a real estate lawyer for you that, do. but it's like pretty clean, easy uh, I wouldn't situation. say easy. Um, it's like, it's agreed upon, right? So one person says, you take this property, I take this property, let's get you off of this. So yes and no. We would, it, it depends on uh, if there's a mortgage involved and who's then assuming the mortgage because you don't want to keep the party uh, on the mortgage and remove them off title because they have no control over the property um, okay, in that sure. sense. So generally, if there is a separation happening, both the parties will go to a family lawyer, draft up a separation agreement. The agreement will discuss matrimonial property as to what's happening and or investment properties that they have. And then they go to a real estate lawyer who would then execute uh, based on those instructions, of course. Um, one thing to keep in mind is between spouses, whether it's for, uh, they're not for separation or for separation or divorces, there's no land transfer tax payable. Okay. okay. Yeah. So just just quickly, um, can you explain what land transfer tax yeah, so. is and why, you know, in certain parts of Toronto, you got to pay double? Yes. And, yeah. So land transfer tax is basically a fee that you have to pay to be able to transfer title in Ontario. Um, and, and certain parts of the world, certain, whether you call it land transfer tax or some sort of uh, transfer fee, you name it. But uh, in Ontario, there's a two-tier system. So if you're buying in Toronto boundary, you have to pay double the tax uh, because Toronto has its own uh, land transfer tax that they created. Um, I'm going to say 12, 13, more than way when I started about that time. But it was supposed to be temporary at the time um, because the economy was sort of coming out of the 08 issue. Not so much here, but they figured, hey, um, let's add some more, uh, some more cash in there. <laughs> and, and then everyone started paying and it became sort of permanent. Uh, but the way they, you know, we've, we've talked to city officials, we've had some meetings over the time, um, and they've said our, our property taxes are one of the lowest. So it averages out over a number of years. Uh, if you look at it that way. So if you're buying a property in the Durham region, Peel, et cetera, you pay land transfer tax less right off the bat. Yeah. But your taxes, property taxes, are generally higher than the city of Toronto. Yeah, they're 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 quite a bit higher. Right. So there's two ways of looking at it. But of course, the Toronto valuation of properties does go higher, faster, and appreciates better than the rest. So Toronto has a really good argument to say we have the right to charge this. And with not paying that, so in a situation where the parent um, leaves the home to 
uh, children, um, they wouldn't have to pay the transfer tax in that situation, right? Um, yes and no. So if, if somebody passes away and then based on their will, it's going to go to their beneficiaries, then of course, uh, under the, the act, you're allowed and it's uh, admitted. So you don't have to worry about land transfer tax um, okay. because you're inheriting that property. However, if they're transferring title while they're alive, um, it could be subject to it if it's... Um, uh, so, for example, even if you want to gift your property okay, to somebody, you cannot really gift it with $0 if there's a mortgage on it. So if you own it outright, you can give it to your family members, no land transfer tax, of course. But if you have a mortgage on it, uh, you're, you're subject to paying land transfer tax on the mortgage balance outstanding. So it could yeah, be. Yeah, so it's on the full amount. It's whatever's left on the mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's a little cheaper, but. Yes. <laughs> it's exactly. still, it's still yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's, well, uh, it seems like we're almost running out of time. Oh, yeah. Wow. You but we, uh, I mean, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. Right? I, 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 know, eight hours I feel on like end. we've been asking you a lot of questions. <laughs> and and I, do have, I do have one more question to ask you. Um, if you can just explain what goes into a closing cost. So if there's someone who's never bought a property before, even people who have bought a couple sure. properties. That's fair, yeah. Uh, so number one, when you're buying a property, um, you, you obviously have to come with your down payment. You're working with your mortgage broker. They'll explain that to you. Uh, but on the closing costs of things that we have to worry about additionally, it would be, of course, your land transfer tax, the biggest one. Uh, you've got your legal fees, averaging 1500 bucks to 2000 anywhere you go. And then you've got title insurance, depending on the purchase price, of course, 0.1%, mm-hmm. let's say 1000 bucks out on average. Then you've got registration with the land registry office, about uh, $82 right now uh, per registration. So uh, on an average transaction, about two. So one is the ownership, one is the mortgage. So 164 that you'd have to come up with an extra. And of course, adjustments uh, are a big one with builders. So with the resale, adjustments will be for property taxes. That's just the seller has paid the taxes for the whole year. Closing is happening in June. You have to now compensate the seller for the difference on closing. But there's a credit on your behalf with the city, so you don't have to pay land transfer. Property taxes, sorry, for the rest of the year. Uh, but with the builder, the adjustments can be very high. So development charges, they've got their utility meter installation, hydro, uh, any additional increases in development charges. They've also got their park levies, educational levies. I mean, things add up, basically. You're budgeting an extra 10, 15, 20,000 sometimes. So we would detail that in a, in a review so you know what to expect. Uh, but for a standard resale transaction, yeah. it's basically just, uh, like I said, land transfer tax additional, legal fees, registration, title insurance that you're looking at. Right. Okay. I awesome. do want to touch on one small thing. Okay. <laughs> one more thing. Another thing? I think we got a couple okay. minutes. Okay. Yeah. Right. So always one more thing. <laughs> so always okay. one more thing. Go for it. So status certificate. Yes. So I recently had a, I sold a condo with a status certificate in there. Yeah. And the agent came back to me and was like, there's not enough in the reserve fund, right? Okay. So I did call a property management. There is enough in a reserve fund. They requested a mutual release. Okay. Now, you know, I'm just trying to wonder, like, they're trying to wiggle the way out of yeah, the deal, that, right? So we, we, we try not to. So first of all, our job is to not let deals fall apart. Yeah. Okay. Uh, our end goal is to cooperate and get the transaction closed so everybody wins. Okay. Um, now, when it comes to status reviews, we do an in-depth review, of course, of all the statuses. Reserve is just one of them. We look at the budget. If yeah. there's any mismanagement of funds, mm-hmm. um, and obviously, if there's an issue with the reserve, which is which could be a big one, we also then have to check any unexpected expenses that occurred that year, or if there's something coming up, and that could be the explanation as to why it's low or not. Now, 
if there's a mismanagement of funds, you can see from the years prior what yes. the pieces have been yeah. and we can then bring it into play. But our job is to not advise the client to say yes or no. Uh, we basically tell them this is what the outlook is on the condo's health. You have to make the decision. Of course, we would then tell them their exposure for for purchasing this with if there would be a special assessment, for example. So let's say the reserve is short 500000 we would then they recommend that, of course, and there's no way to contribute towards this year. Uh, we would then ask the condo management, is there a way or plan to bring it up? No, we have enough, and we'll just, um, when we do the next study, it will balance it out, and we're okay. Okay. Otherwise, uh, yes, we're going to do a special assessment, most likely, and that could be 2000 3000 or we're going to do and increase the condo fee significantly. So we let the clients know what the exposure would be. So, for example, if there's 108 units in the building, 500,000 divided by 108 will tell you, well, you're probably looking at maybe $1,000, $2,000 as your exposure if there's a special assessment ever. Uh, or the condo fee can increase in the next fiscal, which could come up six months, 12 months, eight months. And also you can negotiate with the seller because sellers want to sell the property. They also know the health is usually not good if something's going wrong. Yeah. And they will say, fine, I'll give you an extra 5,000 or I will do sign a clause and you can put in the clause that if there's a special assessment before the closing or even six months after the closing until the next fiscal, uh, they will cover the cost for it, et cetera, up to 5000 et cetera. So there's ways of getting it done, and that's what we try to do the most. But if you are working with a nervous client who do not want to get into any issues, who does not want to get into any issues afterwards at all, um, that's totally fair, and, and that's the right to, to walk away, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Okay. Um, how can someone contact you? you so, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I will leave my information yeah. uh, with, with Aleem and then you can share it. But of Are course, you on IG? Um, no. So we you can reach out uh, by cell phone. That's one good thing about us. We actually get our cell phone number. So okay, you can reach perfect. out to us any questions you have. No problem. Email us. Email is basically now the, the main way of communicating and very fast and effective. Awesome. Okay. So, but yeah, we're, we're Corman Companies on Instagram. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. So you can reach and search Corman Companies account on Instagram. Corman Company. Corman okay. Company, and it's K-O-R-M-A-N. And of course, on Facebook, uh, you can reach out uh, anytime. All right, well, this has been great. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Real Talk Real Estate. Until Thank next time. Until next time. Me. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube.